five. It being Wednesday night, I, I, I know when I was working, a secular job is always good to come in and get some encouragement from the Word of God. And I wish I could say I had a really chipper, uplifting message for you tonight, but I don't think that's really the, the bent of this message. But I do believe it is what God wanted me to preach, so that'll uh, be better than any uplifting message I could come up with on my own anyway. So, Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to go ahead and start reading in verse 3. Ephesians 5, verse 3. It says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become of saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for all you've done in our lives, Lord. I thank you so much for the, being the, the, the good God that you are, the tremendous mercy and grace you have shown to us. And Lord, I pray that you um, humble yourself once more, and Lord, just come down and, and, and uh, be with us during this service. Lord, I pray that you fill me with your spirit. I pray that I say only what you would have me to say. And Lord, I pray that your um, spirit work in every heart and life in here, Lord, that we draw closer to you and that we all leave here closer to you than, how we, than before how we came in, Lord. I pray that, you, again, you be with the requests that were asked, uh, Lord, uh, or the ones that weren't asked as well, Lord. I pray that you meet each need in here tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so... It's, a, it's a, a little bit of an unusual uh, passage. I, I typically wouldn't pick out a passage like this. Again, like, as I said, I believe it's the Lord who has picked this out um, for us tonight. I, I, I generally think the condemning of sin should be done by the pastor. I <laughs> let him handle the repercussions from that. But today we're going to be looking at, at covetousness. Um, as, and it is mentioned here, it is listed with a variety of, of sexual sins or sexually themed um, sins uh, here in our passage. And of course we understand the gravity of sexual sins and rightfully we should condemn them. But again, covetousness is almost an associate of theirs. And if you look in the New Testament or even in the Old Testament some, you'll find covetousness is often listed pretty close to sexual sins. Whether it be fornication, uncleanness, covetousness is often um, pretty close to it or is listed in the same, same list. So we see a little bit of how much weight God puts on the sin of covetousness. Now we know, again, as, as we're looking at it in our passage, as we see it um, listed with the sexual sins, and sexual sins we know disqualify a pastor from the ministry, but so does covetousness. 1 Timothy 3, verse 3 talks about how a, a pastor is not to be given to filthy lucre, or he's not supposed to be, he's, uh, not supposed to be covetous. mentions it twice. And from our text, we see it is very clear that those who partake in these sins will have the wrath of God fall upon them. You see that in verse 6. For because of these things come with the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Now this word 
covetousness in the, in the Greek is, is directly translated into, into avarice or a greediness. And covetousness steals the heart and the passion from where it should be. That's why I think it's one of the reasons it's listed with the sexual sins is because he has some of the same characteristics of it. Because uh, it'll steal, steal a heart, steal a passion, and put it, take it away from where it should be. Of course, it should be on God, and it puts it on something else. Now, covetousness can also have a meaning in the, in the sexual realm as well. You can covet pleasure. Uh, and we're going to cover that a, l- a little bit later. But it is extremely important and extremely, in- extremely serious in the Word of God, as I believe this message will show. It is so impactful to a life that it is a characteristic of a lost person. A saved person should never be accused of being covetous. As it says there in verse 3, Let it not be once named among you as become a saint. Or verse 6, again, uh, because of these things come the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience, the lost people. So covetousness should, they, should never even, we, a Christian should never be accused, really, of being covetous with any kind of basis to the accusation. Now, what is covetousness? What is covetousness? Open to interpretation, as I said, in the Greek word, the Greek word basically just means a greediness. I think Christ actually gives a pretty good definition in the spiritual realm, and we'll read it in Luke chapter 12. Let's turn there, kind of laying the groundwork for the message here. Luke chapter 12, and we'll read a couple verses. First we'll read verse 15, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And then, of course, he goes and he gives a parable to describe it. And then verse 21, he sums it up. And this, I think, is, would be a good definition of, of covetousness, in the spiritual, especially with the spiritual uh, meaning. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself, and is not rich toward God. So a covetousness is laying up treasure in a particular area rather than in God. Going after, seeking after things that are not God. As the, as the rich man there in the parable, he's, he's laying up all these, all these fruits and he's got to tear down his barns and build greater. He's, that's his focus. That's the focus of his life. And it is a parable given to us to combat covetousness. And so I think as, as we go through the message, kind of keep that definition of mind of laying up treasure, of seeking after something that is not God. And that is why the Bible says a covetous man is an idolater, because it is putting something before God. So whatever the object of the coveting is, it becomes the idol, it becomes the false god, making whoever is coveting it an idolater. He's putting something ahead of God. So the first thing we're going to look at here is the delusion of covetousness. Verse 6, the, verse, the first phrase there, let, uh, sorry, back in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words. 
Now again, covetousness seems to be glossed over almost as a sin, uh, partly because of the prosperity of our nation. We just kind of, it's almost expected, had a little bit of coveting of better things, of nicer things. It's almost expected. And we rarely treat it with the same attention as the sins that it is listed with in our text. We, we, we try to stress to our young people, and rightfully so, the importance of sexual purity. But do we stress that they remain, that they, they have that purity from covetousness as well? I don't, I don't really remember hearing that when I was a young person. I'm sure I did. I mean, grew, growing up in church, I'm sure I heard that stress to a young person. But do we have that? So covetousness, these vain words, let no man deceive you with these vain words. We often fail to realize the danger that covetousness is to a life. And sometimes we'll deceive ourselves, sometimes we'll be deceived. Yeah, you know, everyone's doing it. Everyone has a, two car, a house with a two-car garage and two cars parked outside with three toys parked inside the garage. You know, everyone's doing it, so it's perfectly all right. It's almost like we have a little bit of deception in place because we are expected to have this because of the world or, again, because we deceive ourselves. But the tendrils of covetousness reach into every corner of our life and corrupt it. Much like smoke fills a room and it affects your ability to, or excuse me, it affects your every sense and your ability. Covetousness will dull the spiritual sense. It will dull the spiritual ability. And so, but oftentimes, it's just kind of excused. It's not given very much focus. And again, not nearly as much focus as the sexual sins are given. But I believe it is equally as dangerous. So just, the delusion of covetousness, again, we fail to, to give it the, the proper place, I think, that we, need, that we should. We don't recognize the danger that is there with covetousness. So the second point, we'll see some disciplines of covetousness. So some areas that covetousness appears. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 20. Back to the Ten Commandments where we see the first command not to covet. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 17, Exodus 20, 17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. This is the tenth commandment, although of course we shorten it to thou shalt not covet. But you can see the wide-reaching effects that covenant, coveting has. It's not just listed to money, or confined to money. That's oftentimes how we, um, narrow, what we narrow it down to is just coveting money, or coveting uh, uh, wealth. But here we see it, it covers a wide range. It's possessions, again, uh, people, um, you know, livestock obviously back, back in those days. So throughout, throughout Scripture, and really throughout human history, we can see coveting at work really in three main areas with kind of some sub-points, but uh, three main areas you'll see coveting at work in, and that is possessions, power, and pleasure. 
you'll see people uh, will covet after those three things. And let's look at some examples that we find in the Word of God. So first of all, possessions. Somebody coveting a possession. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 7. Very famous account of coveting at play. Joshua chapter 7. We'll read verses 20 and 21. This, of course, is the sin of Achan right after the conquest of Jericho. Joshua 7, verse 20. And Achan answered Joshua and said, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them, and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. And of course, we know what was the end result of that. He and his whole family were taken out, stoned, and all their possessions burned. So Achan coveted, and his whole family paid the price. He and his whole family paid the price. And you'll see this pattern. It was something rather eerie that I found studying out this message. Really, almost any time you see coveting taking place in the Word of God, it is followed quickly by death. And it's really, and we'll see a few more instances of that. It's, it's really kind of, it was surprising to me to find that. But Achan coveted, and he and his family paid the price. How many family relations of all kinds have been damaged by coveting? Um, we all, I, I'm sure, can think of somebody, whether it be a, a brother or a sister, a, a spouse, a parent, a child, where coveting has taken place and that has damaged or destroyed the family relation. And so, bringing this closer to home, are we coveting something? Are we coveting a bigger house, a newer car, a better ATV? Or maybe some finer clothes or some nicer shoes? The coveting of possessions, again, it will ruin a walk with God. Now, I understand we need material goods, we need possessions, to live in this life. And again, God does not want you to be homeless on the side of the road. But too often we, we try to use, well, God's goodness and He doesn't want me to, to suffer or to be poor. Well, maybe He does want you to maybe not quite be as so well off as, as you are. Maybe He doesn't want you to have three ATVs sitting in the garage. What is the motive for your drive for these possessions? Is it out of covetousness? Be careful of your motivation. Are you putting it before God? Are you laying up treasure for yourself rather than for God? So we see a coveting of possessions. Next we see a coveting of power. Let's turn to Numbers chapter 16. Back a few books to the book of Numbers chapter 16. I put this under power. You could also list this as prestige or position, but I think power kind of encompasses both of those. Numbers chapter 16 is the account of Korah and uh, the, the men who followed him uh, in rebellion against Moses and against God. But verse 3, And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. 
Wherefore then, lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. So they're rebelling against Aaron and against Moses, and saying, basically, you're taking too much upon yourself, God can speak to us as well. Let's drop down to verse 10. This is Moses' response. Actually, let's start in verse 9. Seemeth it but a small thing unto you, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel, to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them? And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee. And seek ye the priesthood also? Korah was a, was a descendant of Kohath, which means these are the peop- these are the fa- this is the family of the Levites who is tasked with transporting the holy things that are found in the tabernacle. Basically, outside of the priesthood, it was the most prestigious place you could be in the service of God. But it wasn't enough for Korah. As Moses said here, Korah was wanting the priesthood as well. He was coveting power. And of course, we know what ended up happening to him. Korah got burnt with fire. Him and the 250 men that stood with him trying to offer incense. Um, got The fire of the Lord fell down upon them. And then um, Dathan and Abiram, who were of the uh, sons of Reuben, the tribe of Reuben, of course the earth opened up and swallowed them and their family whole. So you see coveting taking place and immediately death. Again, just kind of almost eerie as, as I started studying out example after example. So a coveting of power, a coveting of prestige, of position. And how many people have gotten mad and left the church because they were not given a position that they thought they deserved? They were not given the praise, the recognition that they deserved. They were coveting men's praise. They were coveting, coveting man's position. Think of the Pharisees. As Christ said, they, they love the, the greetings in the marketplace. And they stand on the corner and they, and they make these long prayers. They were coveting man's praise. They were coveting that, that prestige that came with that. And of course, they really could not be farther from God. And you look at throughout human history. How many thousands of people have been murdered because of a coveting of power? Think of all the kings and queens and dukes and whatever title you want to throw out there. How many people have been murdered because somebody wanted that position? It's just amazing the effects that covetousness can have on a life. And even the first sin was committed because Eve desired knowledge. Um, which, of course, can be a form of power. She said, I want, the, the, the fruit was a tree desired uh, to, be make, to make one wise. And that word desired is the same word that's translated to do covetousness, as in the Tenth Commandment, thou shalt not covet. Now, not getting into that too much, the, the desiring of that was not a sin for her. The command to not covet was not yet given. But it, the sin arose from that root desire, the coveting. So power, there's possessions, you can covet possessions, covet power, or you can covet pleasure. We can look at the account of David, of course, and and Bathsheba. I'm not going to get into it, Uh, we're all familiar with the account. But how many men have had their lives destroyed because they coveted pleasure? We can think of numerous pastors that we've heard throughout the years, fell into 
coveting of pleasure, fell into sexual sins, and destroyed their lives, destroyed their ministry. Of course, then destroyed their families. How many families have been ruined through this discipline of covetousness? David, again, he coveted Bathsheba, lusted after her, took her, and then, of course, had Uriah, one of his mighty men, killed, and then unknowingly passed self-judgment on himself, a fourfold judgment that was fulfilled in the death of four of his sons. Coveting leads to death. It leads to destruction. Again, coveting brought to David a harm to those he loved, and it was a stain upon his life. Man, think of it, if he didn't have that account of David, um, obviously he had some other, other issues, but how much more glorious he would appear in our eyes? Or how, how much higher would we hold him in, in, in esteem if he did not have this account on his life? But coveting, or a lusting after pleasure, brought this stain upon his life, brought death to his family. So you see the disciplines of covetousness. We can covet after possessions. We can covet after power or prestige. Or we can cover, covet excuse me, after pleasure. And so getting into the spiritual side, some dangers of covetousness, more practical things maybe for us as far as looking at it. We obviously can see what we're coveting after. But now we see the danger that that brings. Outside of, of course, the destruction that in inevitably comes. Covetousness leads to, to discontentment, leads to, which leads to disobedience, which leads to death or a separation from God. Again, if, if, you're not physically, if, if we don't physically die, that separation from God, not saying that we lose our salvation, but we no longer have that relationship with God. Uh, we have destroyed that, basically, as a father and son, and then we have to go get it back through repentance. But covetousness will lead to that. Many warnings in the Bible about covetousness, as I mentioned before. We're going to primarily look at one passage to see how it affects God's people. Let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 6. I think it shows us very well the effect that covetousness has on God's people. The first thing we'll see in Jeremiah chapter 6 is verse 13. It says, For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, every one is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, every one dealeth falsely. So covetousness, what I want to first of all say is, it can affect anyone. No one is exempt from this. Oftentimes we think the poor person kind of is not as susceptible to the love of money or to covetousness, coveting, as the, he's not as susceptible to it as the rich man is. But the poor is just as susceptible to covetousness as the rich person. If you're in ministry, it does not protect you from the possibility of covetousness coming into your life. Just because you're sitting in a church three times a, day, a week does not mean you are protected from covetousness. It can affect anyone. From the least unto the greatest... The prophet, even unto the priest. It's affecting everyone. Verse 14 now. Verses 14 and 15. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? 
Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. So covetousness affects our attitude toward sin. Verse 15 is just an amazing verse there. Were they ashamed when they committed abominations? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. There was no contrition. There was no shame for their sin. When the light was shown upon it, they didn't care. Shame, understand, shame about sin is a a God-given emotion. We should have shame. Adam Adam and Eve had shame when they had sinned. That's why they sought to hide from God. That's why they sought to cover their nakedness. They had the shame that should come with sin. But here, covetousness has hardened them so much that there is no concern now for God's law, for God's rules. There's only a concern for self-interest. They try to speak peace to themselves to make themselves feel better. No, it's okay. As it says, they healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly. Just trying to make him feel better. Peace, peace. There's no peace. Their attitude towards sin now is very, very calloused, very hardened. Because covetousness has taken hold in their life. They no longer care about God. They only care about their own self-interest. And then verse 16. The most famous in this passage. Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way and walk therein and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk therein. Covetousness affects our response to the God's word. And it always will. Let's turn to Ezekiel 33. Another uh, verse demonstrating this. Ezekiel 33 is the chapter that deals with the account of how Ezekiel is set up to be a watchman for the house of Israel. Ezekiel 33, read verse 31. This is God speaking to Ezekiel. And they come unto thee as the people cometh, and they sit before thee as my people. And they hear thy words, but they will not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their heart goeth after covetousness. And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice, and can bear well on an instrument, for they hear thy words, but they do them not. So you see here a hypocrisy coming up as a result of covetousness as well. They pretend to be interested in the message. They sit before thee as my people. So yeah, they're acting like my people, acting like they're interested. They even enjoy listening to the message, but they're not going to do anything about it. They're not going to apply it. To them, it's just like going and hearing a beautiful performance. Just like going and hearing a, a motivational speaker and someone who's a silver-tongued orator. Just a, just a beautiful thing. That's how they treat the Word of God, the preaching of God's Word. Covetousness affects our response to God's Word. Again, those found in Jeremiah and also in Ezekiel, their heart had already rejected the Word as it's being spoken. Jeremiah is saying, walk in the old path. And they say, no, we're not going to walk there. And Ezekiel is going to preach God's word, but we're not going to do it. They'll say, much love, but their heart goeth after covetousness. And I would ask, 
What is our response to God's Word? Do we start to tune it out even before it's preached? Even as pastors getting up here and starting to preach, do we just start to kind of tune it out? Start to think, oh, my team's got the early schedule today. They've got the 1 o'clock game. I wonder, uh, wonder if they're going to win. wonder how they're doing right now. If we are, if we're starting to tune out God's Word, I think it's a good indication covetousness has taken hold in our lives. And again, it could be a coveting of any, any number of things. But covetousness affects our response, or our attitude towards sin, and affects our response toward the Word of God. So how often we minimize the effects coveting has in our life. As I mentioned, coveting leads to destruction. There is no exception. Judas coveted a position. That's why he started following Christ. Thought Christ was going to establish his kingdom. So he's going to be one of the inner circle. One of the twelve disciples that first was following him most closely. And then of course he betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. Wanted that money. Give me something to betray him. Ahab coveted Naboth's vineyard. Ended up killing him as a response. And because of that, God pronounced judgment on Ahab's house. Ananias and Sapphira. They wanted the praise of man. Yeah, we sold a possession. And it's not required by God for us to give you all of it. But we're going to say we gave all of it. Because it makes us look better. Death swiftly followed. Again, you can go throughout the Word of God. Covetousness always brings destruction. Always brings death. So how do we defeat covetousness in our life? Again, coveting is very prevalent, and it poses an enormous danger. But God gave us some simple commands to defeat covetousness. Now, these commands are not unique to combating covetousness alone. They, they help in other areas of our life as well. But they also will combat covetousness here. And one of them was found in our text. Let's turn back to Ephesians 5. And we'll look at verse number 4. Ephesians 5, verse 4. It says, Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather... Giving of thanks. Thankfulness is key to combating covetousness as really as well as sexual sins. Because those who give thanks to God for what they have in their life or where they are at in their life, they'll not easily fall prey to covetousness. They recognize, that, uh, they recognize God's goodness. They recognize all that God has done in their life so they keep that thankful attitude. That giving of thanks is prevalent in their life. So how often do we give thanks? This is something I found rather convicting. Think about our prayer life. We'll go to God, we, we ask for certain things, we pray for our, our church, we pray for our, our nation. But what percentage of our prayer life is giving of thanks? Thanking God for what He has done. Thanking God for all, for who He is. So we have this fornication, uncleanness, covetousness, let it not be once named among you, neither filthiness, nor je- foolish talking, nor jesting, 
but rather a giving of thanks. Christians should be known for being thankful people. And this is one of the weapons God has given to us to combat covetousness, is a constant, a continual giving of thanks. Because if we're constantly thanking God for stuff, our eyes aren't going off and and lodging on something else to covet after. Our eyes are more focused on on God and, and all that He has done for us. So we must have thankfulness in our lives if we want to combat covetousness. Second, a trust in God. And this goes hand in hand. But let's turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Some of you may be able to to quote these two verses. Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. We are to be content simply because God is our helper. God is with us. He will never leave us, nor forsake us. Because of that, We are to be content. We are supposed to let our lives be without covetousness. David penned this principle, really, in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's like, if God is my shepherd, if God is the one leading me, there's nothing else I could really desire. There's nothing better for my life than for God to be my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We also sing the old hymn, All the way my Savior leads me. What have I to ask beside? Think of that phrase. If God is leading us, what what more could we possibly ask for? So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. If God is helping you out, nothing else could help you out better. But we often seek for money's help or or different things, instead of just trusting in the Lord's help. If we have God, it is ludicrous for us really to want anything else. If we have that right mindset, it's ludicrous to want anything else. But so often, we covet after other things. So we have a trust in God, remembering God is there. He is our helper. He will never leave us. And because of that, we can, ha- we can be content. Our lives can be without covetousness, but we must trust in God. And third, for defeating covetousness, we must have a love for God's word. Psalm 119, verse 36. Again, it is not a coincidence that covetousness leads us to disregard the Word of God. And the way to defeat covetousness is to love the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 36. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Incline my heart. What is your heart inclined toward tonight? This verse gives us two options. It's either God's testimonies, His Word, God Himself, 
or covetousness. And that's what it is. We're either inclined toward God or inclined towards something else which is idolatry synonymous with covetousness for the Christian. Where do your passions lie? That's when your heart is inclined towards something. That's what has your passion. In one of the revivals that took place, I believe it was with King Asa in the kingdom of Judah, the Bible says that Judah went followed God with all with their whole desire is how it is put. All of their passion was put toward following God, and a great revival took place in Judah because of that. Again, our heart should be inclined toward God's Word. Our passion should be to follow God's Word and learn more of it to follow it better. But if our heart is inclined to something outside of God, as I've mentioned throughout this message, it is idolatry. And again, covetous man is is an idolater. Make God's word your passion. Make God's word your hobby. Make it your life. Make sure that your life is always in line with God's word. And you will find it, and covetousness will find no soil to sink into. When God's word has all of your passion, when your heart is inclined toward that, then there is no room for the seed of covetousness to to grow. But we have to incline our heart. It is a choice. We choose what we're going to incline our heart toward. So how do we defeat covetousness? Through that constant giving of thanks. Through that trust in God, remembering God is always there and there's nothing more we could ever desire in our life. And a love for God's word. Again, I hope this message really, as, as, as we close, has relayed the gravity of allowing covetousness into our lives. It's not a sin that just affects a narrow scope of your life. It just affects your giving. No, no, it affects much more than that. It affects your entire life. As I said, it's like smoke. just permeates everything. Corrupts everything it touches. It will affect everything about your life and it will lead to your demise. But again, we can overcome it through thankfulness, through a trust in God and a love for God's Word. Let's go ahead and close in in a word of prayer. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. We'll go into a time of invitation. Again, if this this message was, just, was definitely aimed at God's people, those who are saved, who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. But there, if there's someone in here who there has never been a time in their life where they put their faith and trust completely in Jesus Christ for their salvation, I would I would like to give you an opportunity here for you. Um, I would I would like to pray for you, and 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 I, I want you to reflect on that great need that would be in your life. If there is someone in here who has never Put their faith and trust completely in Christ. If you could raise your hand, I would love to pray for you. Can I see some small children? Alright, Christian. What are you laying up treasure toward in this life? Is it treasures on earth? 
Is it a position, whether at work or at church? What are you seeking after? What is your heart inclined toward? Don't let covetousness take hold. It will destroy quickly and thoroughly. Again, incline your heart unto God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you again um, for the warnings found in your word. And I pray that you just move in each heart as you see fit. And I pray that we be submitted to your spirit's leading. We ask these things in Jesus' name.